revitalization of our church that we're going through with thinking about unity and community. And also the, the sermons that David's been preaching on going through Revelation. Uh, he's, he's gone through six churches that are on this spectrum somehow of being unified or more often than not being disunified. So that's where we're going to be today, uh, talking about community beyond our preferences to Christ's perfect, uh, purpose. See, I told you, be ready. John thirteen thirty five is the key verse for this. By this all people we know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You know, one of the images that was used for our D-Now weekend, uh, it was promoted from the very beginning, and we got to take a picture as a group um, it was with the smoke kind of going up behind us. We all had a, a a team color that we were. We were the blue team. And so every church, every group had a, a different color. So the whole weekend was, was centered around having team spirit, cheering one another on, cheering other teams on. And and during this picture that we took as a group picture, they, they had this smoke bomb that, that we got to... Um, got to pull and, and smoke went everywhere. We got this cool picture. They're going to be working on it and giving us a better copy of it. Um, and after we went away from that, our um, keynote speaker from the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board, so you know he's good, uh, Jay Barber, uh, he, he said that smell of smoke lingered on all of us. That, that was kind of like that aroma of Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 2.15. Um, as, as Kelly mentioned, the aroma of Jesus Christ. And that should be apparent in everything that we do. In our words, discussions, actions, our Facebook wall, our tweets, snaps. All of that, if you don't know what I just said, that's all right. Uh, <laughs> Jesus gives a new commandment to his followers, right in John fifteen twelve: Love another just as I have loved you. You must also love another. And you know, this was a teachable moment for Jesus. I, I was... In the context of where this is happening, Jesus had just given a simple but powerful servant-like example that no rabbi of the time would have given. He, he got down, hands and knees, and he washed the disciples' feet. He was showing an action of loving one another even before he said this word. Furthermore, you've got to look at the context of what's going on. He's, he's given this message of central love and unity but there's someone missing from this picture. Judas Iscariot has already left moments before out of the room into the night to betray Jesus. A simple, selfish, deadly act of betrayal is already in progress while Jesus is teaching to the rest of them, go and love one another. Just think of the irony of that. These two unfolding events happening right before us. In this moment, you know, and what's about to happen is a betrayal and act of disunity and, and, and selfishness and not love at all from the Garden of Gethsemane to Golgotha. And that's where Jesus is right there in John fifteen twelve. You know, the fractures of disunity are taking the place in the scenes and the events of Jesus' teaching and, and with his followers right now. But how... Can we sometimes, the people of God, sometimes we're like this. And James 4, 1, 2, it gives um, uh, James chapter 4. What causes quarrels and fights 
It's our own passions and wars within us. That's what causes it. So there's a unified bond that's found in the people of God. But at the same time, we can be the cause of fractures and things that are, that are happening under, that, that are going against that love and unity of God's people. So these points mark what the church should be doing. Point number one for today. The church models unity in a disunified culture. The church models unity in a disunified culture. Just think of the culture around us right now. Very opinionated, very angry towards one another. I mean, for the little thing, let, let's just let's just get it simple. Uh, raise your hand. We're, we're just going to do soft drinks. Raise your hand if you're a Coca-Cola person. If you're a Coca-Cola person, Coca-Cola. There we go. All right. If you're a Pepsi person, raise your hand. Pepsi. All right. I know this is in Georgia. We won't. We'll be praying for you. Uh, we won't hold that. Now I, I'm doing this for Matt. If you're a Dr. Pepper person, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay. <laughs> I think it's Dr. Pepper's from Texas, and they think it's their own thing. I don't know. Um, so some people, they don't want the rest of it, just Dr. Pepper. All right. Um, let's do another one. Fernandez and Habanero. So those are the two we're going to do. Fernandez. If you're a Fernandez person, if you would prefer that over Habanero. All right. Habaneros. If you don't know, like all of both. All right, there you go. Every other day. All right. Um, here we go. Doing this one for Connor. All right. Georgia and Georgia Tech. If you're Georgia, raise your hand. Georgia. Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech. There we go. All right. There we go. All right. I'm afraid to do this one. David was going to have my back. I was going to do Georgia and Tennessee, but... Uh, Anybody else with me for Tennessee? Over, all right. All right. <laughs> there we go. go down together. All right. There can be some heated discussions over these simple things, but I'm not going anywhere near politics and ethical issues of our day. I was just looking just the other day um, on Twitter. The number of hate groups in the U.S. is at a record high right now. 1,020. And these are active groups going after somebody else just to tear them down. Josie Smollett, a series, uh, in the series Empire, charged for allegedly filing a false police report in relation to an alleged attack upon him in January. They found evidence that he paid off people, so it looks like there's a hate crime being committed. Think of the disunity. The other day, Nick Sandman files a lawsuit against the Washington Post. This is the Kentucky high school student. I don't know if you saw this, a viral video that went around. Um, $250 million in damages for the viral video that caused widespread accusations and bigotry as photos of him, a teenager, were spread across the Internet. And this set the Lincoln Memorial. Um, and this was January 18th. Those are just three things I quickly found doing a search that lead to disunity, that lead to hate, that lead to opposition in our society. And that's, you know, setups, hatreds, lawsuits, mislead. That's all disunity. That's only a handful. In contrast, we look in Acts chapter 2, uh, what, what Haley just read uh, just a little while ago. Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. And uh, I was going to read over this again. We'll, we'll, uh, I want to point out some things it says in there. 
Starting at verse 42, they devoted themselves. That was the fellowship and breaking of bread. Everyone was filled with awe. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold to give to anyone who had need. They continued to meet. They ate together. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Wow. That's unity. And when you read that in Acts chapter 2, what's been going on, there's been some amazing things going on with Pentecost and uh, with Peter giving this great sermon and 2,000, I'm sorry, you only get me. They had Peter, they gave this great sermon. But think of the unity of this church. It's like a breath of fresh air when you read it. So just go back and read that on your own today, verse 42. It's like a breath of fresh air because we are suffocating in a disunified and a hate-polluted society. But you know what? This example of the Jerusalem church, you can start reading Acts and you think this is amazing. It sets them apart. And in Pentecost, yes, there's nothing else quite like that, what, what happened. But this example that they're given is for us and for every church for all time. This is for every Bible-believing church to live out and to live out now. This model of unity is just a glimmer of the worship, praise, and glory to God for a vast variety of different beloved people created in the image of God. This is just a glimmer of what we will see when we're in unity with every brother and sister in Jesus Christ in eternity. Amen? (laughs) That's where David would go. Amen? (laughs) But we each have a part to play. We each have a part to play. There's activity going on in Acts chapter 2. There's intentional fellowship going on in Acts chapter 2. There's everyone involved in acts of service in Acts chapter 2. There's everyone involved in prayer for one another. Everyone is involved with groups for to, uh, together. So there's a couple of things I noticed. A couple I'm going to mention here and then one at the end. There's a togetherness. This is the constant pattern. There's the other one. There's sincerity with that. Not getting together just to check it off the box. Not getting together because, oh, we've got to make it back. and uh, It's just, oh, we haven't made it. And you feel obligated. No, there's insincerity. It says, with glad and sincere hearts. They were enjoying favor with all the people. This is not a spectator sport in the Jerusalem church. Not doing your own thing. Not just me for me and my preferences. That was the main theme that we were talking Not the preferences of our own, but the purpose of Christ. And then sincerity. That brings the love and unity together. So if we aren't gathering with glad and sincere hearts, if you aren't invested in togetherness of God's people, then you're playing a role still, but it's one of disunity. It's one of disunity. So how can we maintain... Unity. Where is the source? Point number two. The church maintains unity in Jesus Christ. The church maintains unity in Jesus Christ. You know, we have to have a compelling reason. I was going to give, I'll quickly give an example. Uh, There's a movie called Remember the Titans. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Um, 1971, there's two um, schools that come together. Uh, Two different races, black, white, they come together, and it's creating all this tension on the football team, and they're about to fall apart. 
and the coach gets them up at 3 a.m. 3 a.m. to go on a run. Most people don't want to go on a run anyway, but at 3 a.m., who wants to go on a run? And he takes them to the battle, battlefield of Gettysburg. And he said, this is what we're becoming against each other. And this team's going to die, just like right here on this battlefield if we don't do something. So it's amazing, after that movie, they come together and what they're able to accomplish. But without a compelling reason, or a common cause, or a person, that's what we have, is a person, Jesus Christ, then we'll gravitate towards looking at ourselves and our own needs every single time. As Christ followers, we're called to love each other and share God's love with others, even when it's hard. Thankfully, Jesus promised that we'll experience unity with one another. And we'll make sure we're united with Him. We need to make sure we're united with Him first. This is one of our key texts from this weekend. John 15, uh, verse 4 through 12. I'm going to read this. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by, uh, by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from, you, from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. This is the verse I said at the beginning. Love each other as I have loved you. The vine is the life and the power. We are the branches attached to that. Uh, our keynote speaker gave this uh, example of an electric leaf blower. Okay, If it gets unplugged, there's no way it's going to work. Unless you have a gas-powered leaf blower, <coughs> Shelley. Uh, that illustration still falls apart, though, because if you run out in the tank and don't have any gas can left, you've lost power. Our unity with God is completely dependent upon Jesus' work on the completed work of the cross. Jesus showed us the greatest love of all. We are grafted in because of that. Grafting, I, I had to look on a video, I've never done that, but I, I saw somebody that created a, a notch in a plant and they can take another one and put it there and mend it together and it grows. But without that source, without that trunk or without that vine, that branch is, fall, is falling off and all it's good for is to, to burn. That's the power, is in Jesus. And through Him, we truly know what it means to be attached to God, to have unity with one another. That's because of the great love He showed for us, His death and resurrection. Point three. Point three. The church marks unity by living differently. The church marks unity by living differently. The mark of living differently is not an easy path, is it? Jesus never said it's, a, it's an easy path. He said, in fact, it's a narrow path. It's going to be the hard way. It's not the easy way. That was something that was emphasized to the youth. Being a Christian 
was, was never, you know, Jesus never presented it like that, that this is going to be the easy way. There's going to be setbacks. There's going to be sacrifices that you have to make to be a Christian on your campus, to be a Christian at your school. There's going to be a sacrifice you have to make to be a Christian and to share that at your job with your coworkers. There's going to be people today that might be offended by that. How dare you share your religion with me? Christ has called us, and that is showing love. Because you're sharing the greatest love of all. Jesus. <laughs> one of the group games and challenges at D now to bring unity was the first one that we had that we were assigned, and it was through the obstacle course. So we all got this, uh, this blindfold, put it on. Uh, we had one person leading us through, and we went into a room. We had been in this room before, but it had been empty, and all of a sudden they had set it up with all these obstacles. We didn't even know what was there. And I remember just putting the blindfold on. I didn't even know really where to go to even get to the beginning of the obstacle course. That's how lost you felt. And one person was a caller and was calling you, helping you, guiding you, dodging chairs, doing an army crawl. They were were laughing when I was doing the army crawl. There's a video somewhere of me trying to do an army crawl and running into the side. Um, But you have to listen specifically. That's what I learned. Turn right didn't mean to take off and go right and crash into something. But it took work and effort to get through that. They, they gave us a time limit. They wanted our whole entire team to get through this obstacle course. And it took work. It took effort for each individual person for us to accomplish that goal to get to the end of it. You know, we are going under the guidance of a caller, of a helper in life. And we're truly going in blind if we're not listening to it. So what does it take? Well, Paul gives us a pretty clear example of what it's going to take to the church in Ephesus. This is Ephesians 4, verse 1 through 6. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Here it is. Be completely humble and gentle And be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when when you were called. And one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. In our study, there was a a quote from Rick Warren, a definition of humility, that first word being humble. Humble. Rick Warren said, it's not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Sometimes I think we can think being humble is putting on this kind of negative side to it. And it's not that. It's not throwing a pity party. It's not um, uh, because that's just a source of pride, just flip-flop. That's just bringing attention to yourself. True humbleness is thinking less of yourself and more of others. The other one was being gentle. And I think, guys, we, we especially will, uh, will tend to, uh, you know, brush this one aside. We're, we're macho. What's this word, gentle? We're the first ones to cringe at this word. And we think gentle equals weak or a pushover. But gentleness really isn't that at all. Um, It equates to meekness, which really is power, but it's power under control. It's power under control. 
Having control and patience, even under the difficult and stressful situations. Having power and control. Being gentle. My daughter, Ellie Ruth, uh, fell one day um, uh, in preschool hallway and cracked her tooth. And it wasn't a pretty sight. It was bleeding everywhere. And it was, she was out of control. You know, she was, um, I was trying to calm her down. And I didn't know how bad the injury was at this point because there was so much blood and teachers were out there and stuff. And I was just trying my best to show gentleness, even in a situation that was stressful, that was uncertain. What am I, what's going to happen? We got to get a dentist now and, and go check this out. Everything was okay, but uh, that was just one, one example. Patience and bearing with each other. That was the last part in the Ephesians 4, verse 2. You are willing to work well with others who are different than you. You can endure. You have a long fuse. <laughs> you have a long fuse. Our, our speaker was, was talking about traffic. He hasn't gone through Atlanta very much. And uh, uh, it had been a while. So that, that was the thing he has to work on for himself. And we all have that area that we need to work on. His was driving. Each person, including ourselves, has shortcomings. And we need to understand that in others, they're going to have them too. So we need to help each other. That's, that's bringing this whole image of unity together because, you know, Jesus equates the, uh, the church like the body. Each of us, if, if you think of all the parts of the body, each of us provides something differently. And we all have shortcomings in another area, and we need each other to build up. So a practical question. When, when people in your circles, your friends, family, classmates, teammates, those in a club, your coworkers, your church family, when they think about you, do you think they think of you and appreciate you for creating unity, or do they tiptoe around you and walk on eggshells and just keep their... Uh, their difference because you tend to stir things up. Controversy. Those three things above, Ephesians 4, humility, gentleness, meekness, patience. Help us in that. Help us in that. And we can all grow in these areas. Just think of your circles and how we can do that better, each one of us. So these qualities from Paul, they take the roots in God's character. That's where they come from, is from God's character. We, we aren't like that on our own. We're not like that in our sin. We don't produce that without following God's character and who he is. Um, Ephesians 4:15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow in every way into him who is the head, into Jesus Christ. There was this commercial um, in the 90s, Be Like Mike. Remember that Gatorade? Gatorade. If you drank enough Gatorade, you'd be like Mike, Michael Jordan. That's not true. <laughs> I could drink that every meal for the rest of my life, and I won't even be ashamed of that. But we do have an assistant, a secret weapon when it comes to being like Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit. Everyone who puts their faith into Jesus Christ receives this Spirit into us. Imagine a world, imagine our community, if every believer depended not on our own efforts, but constantly relied on the works of the Spirit. That would change everything. That's why Jesus said, and we heard this this weekend, youth, uh, that 
it was, Jesus said, it's better for me to go right now, so you receive the Spirit. That's really the Acts, uh, uh, Acts chapter 2. That's the church setting off. They're empowered by the Spirit now. If we could depend on the Spirit working on us to work with each other daily, to what the Lord has called us, make disciples, love one another, as Christ first loved us, think how we could truly change our community in this world. Last point. The church is made for worship and to bring glory to God. Uh, you know, being a parent, there's, there's no telling how many hours you work on trying to teach your kids something, you know, teaching them, you know, how to share with others, teaching them to be nice to their siblings, teaching, and, and you're always looking for that. There's countless, countless times. And then think of the feeling you, you have as a parent. You know, you're looking out the kitchen window, seeing how the kids are playing, and they're playing well with each other. You know, they're just getting along. You didn't even have to get on to them earlier. Like, they're, they're just doing it. And, and you're like, wow. Maybe that's few and far between, but wow, you know. Oftentimes, parenting, you know, it can feel like climbing up a hill of sand, right? One step up and two or three or more, slide back down. But think of the pride that God the Father has when he sees his church and people in community Uniting together. Just like that, you know, our Heavenly Father. Peeking out, seeing what's going on. They're serving. They're inviting people to to church. They're telling somebody about the Lord. Think about the joy that gets Him. In 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 18, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for, uh, for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, get this, new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. We are new creations. But maybe some of us aren't right now. You know, looking back at Acts chapter 2, I pointed out two things. There was a togetherness and there was sincerity. There's actually something before all of that. You're not in that family and in that unity exactly until you know God. You don't have that work of the Spirit in you unless you've confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior. So maybe someone here is, is like that today, right now. You have not confessed Jesus is Lord and Savior. And that's the first step. There are steps for all of us that, that already know the Lord, that, that are Christians, for us to work on unity. But there's an initial step to accept Jesus to step into that unity. And when you step into that, you step into the family of God that extends here and to other believers all around the world. It's pretty incredible that your family, your brothers and sisters in Christ, we're actually more alike together because we're going to be together for all eternity than even our own blood relatives that are, that are not believers. So that should compel us to reach them as well. But if you're here today you need to know the Lord, I would do, uh, love nothing more than to meet with you down here. We come in this time.